0: Thanks, Jay. Thank you. Good morning. Oh, these lights are bright up here. I feel like I'm on like a, like an Area 51 compound. Um, gosh, I love our church, y'all. I used to say that back at BB, and every time I would speak, I'd always pretend like um, Jason and Lindsay had moved away. I don't know if anybody remembers me making those jokes. I'd be like, guys, I'm here because, sadly, the Swains have decided to move home. And it was... My favorite joke to make. Now it feels inappropriate because not everybody knows me. So um, um, this morning, uh, I feel like I don't really have a sermon just because of um, some stuff I'll share. I feel like I have a bit of a conversation that I'm willing to have with y'all around this passage of Scripture that we're going to look at. Um, And mostly it's because, has anybody here ever been to like a big christian jesus conference kind of thing you've been to one not very many people have been to one like six people Um, but maybe i just got back from one of those i work for young life like jason mentioned i just got back from one it was awesome it was in orlando um which was warm which has made me detest the weather right now um And there was like 6,000 people in a huge room with a stage in the center and screens all around it and screens everywhere. And there was like, we we met like twice a day. So there were these big kind of meetings twice a day and they did worship at those meetings and the worship was real good. But every time we were doing that, I would just like stand there and um, like start crying because I just couldn't sing the words. Um, They were words I believe, words that I I know where they come from in scripture. I just couldn't sing them, um, and so I was just kind of crying, and it helped me to kind of gauge how I'm doing on the interior. Um, later that week, I went for a run, and my buddy let me borrow his running watch, and within like 30 feet of my run, it's like bloop, bloop, and like telling me exactly how I'm doing, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. So I might buy one of those today to reward myself for speaking this morning. Um <laughs> I, all that to say, I'm not doing super great right now. I'm a positive person, and even though I have a mustache, which looks like a permanent frown, um, (laughs) I, uh, I'm not doing so great, and I'm not used, I'm not, I don't usually stay in seasons of not doing great, because I'm a positive person, and having to go to something where there was worship music twice a day, every day, was like that running watch that gave me a real clear feed on how my, um, how my heart and my soul are doing? And the answer is not great. Um, And I'll I'll share a little bit about that, I think, later. But the reason I felt okay about speaking about this is because at the conference, a guy taught out of Timothy, and there's a passage in Timothy where Paul encourages Timothy, who's a young buck um, and is on his own, I think, in Ephesus. Um, And he goes, you need to fan into flame the gift that you have. And that just kind of stuck with me because I was like, man, like my, my insides feel like warm coals for Jesus. They are definitely not roaring hot right now. Um, and I know that when I study the word to teach, that puts air on the coals and can, and can revive them. So that's an act of obedience for me. And then when I looked at the passage of scripture, which is really kind of a bummer, <laughs> what we're gonna read is like a bummer passage of scripture. But it met me, who was bummed, right where I was at. So I was like, I can, I can preach out of this pretty authentically. It's um, when John the Baptist gets his head cut off. And it's a long, well, we have, a, we have a, a fair bit of scripture, but um, I would call that when life does not go the way that you thought it was going to go. <laughs> um, see, I can still make jokes. I can still like make jokes. <laughs> And that is where I'm at. Um, I can't tell when I'm going to share my personal story. I'm going to wait. Um, this passage of Scripture, so Mark, we've been in Mark. If you're, if you're just coming in this morning, we've been in Mark. Mark's one of my favorite Gospels because most likely it's Peter's account of Jesus' life. Because uh, John Mark later rolled with and under Peter. And a lot of people think that this is Peter's Gospel through John Mark. It is short and packed with a lot of awesome miracles and not a lot of hard-to-understand dialogue. Um, John Mark is like watching Jesus from 20 feet back and only recording the awesome parts of it. Um, like if you're trying to talk to somebody that you don't really want to talk to and you're trying to make the story short. They're like, how was your weekend? You're like, oh, it was fine. We had pizza. watched some movies. And um, I made out with my wife. It was awesome. Um <laughs> And so, and then they're like, oh, okay, weird. You're like, yep, see you. That's John Mark's gospel. Um, anyway, where this falls is kind of towards the beginning. Um, and Jason last week talked about Jesus going home uh, and not being received in his hometown. And how his miracle ability or his willingness or whatever, the movement of the Holy Spirit over him, was reduced there by, for, for whatever reason, you know whatever you want to believe around that, like he couldn 't or he wouldn 't based on their unbelief, um, but then right from that he kind of gathers twelve, sends them out, and then Mark drops this this um, this uh, look back in on what happened to John the Baptist, and then right after that picks back up with the disciples coming back, and it just keeps kind of rolling and some of the stuff I read was He drops it in there for, you know, lots of reasons. Everything's speculation, but um, this is what it's like to follow Jesus, is what some people would say. Um, So before we start reading it, because this is only looking at John the Baptist, our scripture today is really just him. And so I wanted to just get us ready to talk about just him because he's arguably one of the most prolific people in scripture. I mean, he really does run with the likes of Abraham Moses, King David, Elijah, that's like his people. If you, if you like look at scripture, that's the tier of person that John the Baptist was and is. Um, so to give a quick kind of how do we come to this ready to really understand the magnitude of what happens, I would say the last words of the Old Testament are about John the Baptist. The last words of the Old Testament in a book called Malachi, um, God is warning his people before he stops talking for 400, and 400 years. Um, and he goes, I'm going to send to you Elijah, and he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. Or else I'm going to come and strike the land with a curse. The Old Testament ends with the word curse. And that's just, and just quiet for 400 years. Our nation is nowhere near that old, and just imagine if God hadn't spoken or done anything for four hundred years, and during that time, so like during that time, it wasn't like everything was just hunky dory for for the Jewish people during that long silence. Um, A Syrian ruler, a guy named Antioch and uh, Epiphanes, Antiochus Epiphanes rose up and dominated them. That was the whole Jewish story is a story of being dominated. Um, Made them eat pork and all this nasty stuff and was putting them to death and tons of martyrs. And in that time you have the Maccabees revolt. So this small posse of unlikely heroes with no training and no tools throws, overthrows the Syrian kind of grasp around their neck. Short-lived because in like 63 BCE, before Christ, Rome rolls in. Um, And that sets the stage for Jesus to be born. So it's quiet that whole time. And in the midst of that, you have an old couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah is a priest. He gets gets kind of like, they throw dice, kind of, and he gets elected to go and do this special thing in the temple, and while he's doing that, And God hasn't done anything for 400 years. So just think, like that's like generations and generations and uncles and grandpas and great-grandpas and great-great-great-grandpas of nothing. No stories, no anything, just always talking about the God who used to do stuff for us. Um, He's in the temple, and an angel of the Lord shows up to him. The guy's name is Gabriel. And he's like, what up, Z? And uh, I'm paraphrasing, and Zechariah... is terrified. Everybody that meets an angel first time is terrified. And they always are like, it's okay. I know you're terrified because I'm awesome because God made me this way. Um, I've heard you, God's heard your prayers. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him John, which was um, culturally strange. You would normally name your firstborn son after someone in the family or the dad. And then he goes, he says some stuff and he goes, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Um, okay, awesome. Um, I, I think he says even he's the Elijah who was to come. And Zechariah has a question How's this going to happen? I'm old, which is really similar to Mary's question, by the way. When Mary talks to Gabriel, she goes, How's this going to happen? I'm a virgin. And Zechariah's question is like, How's this going to happen? I'm soups old. Um, but, his, but the heart posture of the two is, is we have to believe, radically different because Mary gets blessed for her question and Zechariah gets muted for his question. Um, so he's like, how's this going to happen, man? Because I'm like old and, I mean, you probably don't know this, but like stuff slows down a bit when we get old, you know, like, no, he doesn't say it like that. But Gabriel goes, Gabriel's answer is one of those like big dog answers. Like if, if you ever go into a guy's house and he pees on your leg, he big dogged you just then, just like any dog would pee on anything that it's mine. Like, and so like he big dogs him and he's like, I'm Gabriel. I see God. I stand in his presence. You're not going to talk. And Zechariah can't talk. Everybody's wondering why I's going to come out. All that to say, when he comes out and they realize he's had a vision, he's seen an angel, the angel said something to him, and then his old lady wife gets pregnant right when he goes home because he has one assignment. <laughs> Everyone starts murmuring and whispering, God is doing something. It's been so long since God did anything and some of us like have our own account or story of that your life in 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 some way or place has felt like it's been so long since god did anything um so people are whispering and murmuring about that elizabeth and mary are cousins their babies are born 6 months apart john the baptist jesus the messiah cousins Six months between them, six months difference. Okay. John is born. His dad can speak when he's born because everybody goes, We're going to name him Zechariah, right? And Mary, not Mary, Elizabeth is like, No, his name's going to be John. And all the men are like, bull, bull, You can't do that. Like, bull, bull. And they go, Talk to Zechariah. And Zechariah's like, mm. So they bring him a chalkboard, and he's like, his name's gonna be John. Ah, <gasps> oh, thank God, Hallelujah! And he can speak again. His name's gonna be John, and he sings this like prophetic song about how he's gonna turn the hearts of the children back, and it's gonna be awesome. He's gonna go before the Messiah, and he's quoting Isaiah, and it's all this awesome stuff and more murmuring and stuff. And John is a delight to them, and lives in the desert. I don't know. I don't know where. I don't like when he. I don't know if it was like a boarding school situation where they're like, "Hey, man," but he was never to drink wine ever or any fermented drink. So his whole, it's kind of, which was kind of like a Nazarite vow, which sometimes had like the, the, the part of it that you also wouldn't cut your hair ever, kind of like Samson. Um, but you could, also, you could do that for a season or you could do that for your whole life. And he lived in the wilderness and he wore camel's skin, which was not in vogue back then. Um, and he ate crickets or locusts and honey, which I just, when I read that, I was like, that's just because crickets probably are horrible. And so you go and get stung by bees for like a while until you're like, ah, and you get the honeycomb out, and now you can eat your crickets with like a splash of honey. Um, Needless to say, a few of us went to uh, Israel this past summer, and the wilderness there is horrible. It's not like Zion or something beautiful. Like, it's super horrible. You would hate living there. You wouldn't be like, this is so cool. Like, it's just me. Like, I'm in like, I'm in like Banff or like oh this is like Patagonia wilderness where like there's like green and flowers you're like I hate this place I hate this place it's all the same color it's dry I don't even know where Gedi is it's so far away I'm not even going to try and go there His life was so wholeheartedly turned to the will of the Father God for the purpose of making Jesus known it was austere He's sleeping on the ground he's eating insects He has long hair. He's never gotten to just enjoy the mirth of wine or beer or whiskey, for that matter. No women. That's probably obvious, but maybe not. And he's young. So he's in his teen years. He's in his 20s, and he's just living in the desert. And then sometime within a year, most likely, of Jesus being baptized, the word of the Lord comes to him and he comes out looking crazy, looking totally crazy. And he goes, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he puts everyone on blast. Uh, people come to him, to the Jordan, which is an inglorious river. It looks like a sloppy drainage ditch. Um, is not the best place to be baptized, I would argue. I totally get why, well, that's a side note, but he's washing people in a dirty, muddy, hard to even get all the way underwater, like river. It's just also gritty. And at some point, you know the story, Jesus comes, he sees him, and he goes, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus comes to be baptized. He goes, no, dude, I need to be baptized by you. Jesus is like, they have a sort of like no, but you, but, but you. Jesus wins because he's the Messiah and he gets baptized. Comes up out of the water, Holy Spirit comes down on him like a dove. A voice from heaven speaks. Jesus goes his way, and John goes his way and immediately begins to be diminished. And he says of himself, I must, he must become greater, I must become less. Some of his disciples peel off. I think it was James and John, or Andrew, Some 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 of Jesus' disciples originally were. John's disciples, they peel off, they go with Jesus. And pretty soon after that, by Luke chapter 3, John is in prison. By Luke chapter 3, John is in prison. So he's young because he put Herod on blast. One thing about Herod that we have to get right is there are three Herods in Scripture that have anything to do with anything. Herod the Great, who was actually king over all of Judea, Who built a bunch of stuff, namely the temple? He is the one who dealt with the wise men. He is the one who ordered the killing of the babies in Bethlehem in the Christmas story. That's him. He was a psychopath, but he started as a baller. He would kill, he killed his favorite wife. And when he ordered his servants to go looking for her, he would beat them when they couldn't find her. He murdered lots of his own sons because he saw them as rivals to his throne. He had some sons that did live, though. Now here's where I got it. Yeah. Herod Antipas is the one who deals with Jesus and John the Baptist... As men, and is the one who goes back and forth with Pilate when they're sending Jesus back and forth. This guy was not as powerful as his dad because Rome decided to divide the kingdom that his dad had had by himself into four. Thus, Herod was called Herod the Tetrarch, Tetra 4. Herod the Tetrarch. So, this is Herod number two. Not as powerful and not a king. Not a king. Mark refers to him as a king, and some of the writers think that's because he's kind of being tongue-in-cheek, whereas all of the other writers refer to him as Herod the Tetrarch, which was like the quarter king. Um, He was also um, a pretty classic son of a gun. Um, So when he's staying with his brother Philip, he notices that his niece, so one of his other brothers had a daughter, named her Herodias, who then married another brother, so some incest stuff there, Um, he notices her, and Josephus says that he just boldly proposed marriage to her while he's staying in his brother's house proposing marriage to his niece, who is already married to his brother. So just classic, like, jerk brother move. She's like, yeah, I'll marry you if you divorce, you know, whatever your wife's name is, who's whatever's... Daughter, the king near here, wherever. It, it's, I know it, but it doesn't matter. Great, I'll do that. And so they just kind of like elope, adulterate. Because, like, Philip's like, where did Herodias go? And Herod Antipas is like, she's with me, man. She was your niece. She's my niece. It's incestuous, whatever. All that to say, the Jews were like, this is a mess. And Herod was like, you should not have your brother's wife. He says that, and Herod puts him in jail. And Herodias, the woman, the niece, the niece wife of Herod, hates John. Because obviously she's kind of a pawn in this, but he's speaking out against their relationship. She hates him. She's like, she's kind of like a Jezebel type um, person in this. He just sits in jail. For the rest of the gospels, he sits in a, in a dungeon. Um, Herod liked to listen to him. We'll learn we'll hear some of this in a second but he just sits there um, until Herod has a birthday party. And then, while there's the mm, 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 mm upstairs, um, some dudes come down with an axe. And they lop his head off because of a lusty striptease dance party that happened, and a king who had quite um, quite a lustful appetite was seduced by his stepdaughter to do this. It's also messy and gritty and disgusting during that time. But before that happens, and we're going to cover this in the scripture, before that happens, he is after cooking and just sitting there in jail. He is frustrated. And maybe doubting. He calls some of, he's he's allowed to see some of his disciples and he goes, hey, would you go to Jesus and ask him this question for me? Are you the one? Are you the one who is supposed to come? This is in, um, you'll find this in Luke 7 and Matthew 11. Are you the one who is to come or are we supposed to wait for someone else? And I, uh." we have circumstances that happen in our lives where we go, it makes us go, are you really who you say you are? Or should I like be waiting on something else? Or should I figure this thing out on my own? Um, or was my whole freaking life sleeping on the ground a waste? They come to Jesus. They ask him the question. And Jesus answers them. He goes, go and tell John what you see happening. And he lists off some things that a lot of people think are like a rough or a loose quote from a passage in Isaiah. And he goes, lepers are being healed. The deaf um, can can, um, hear. The mute can speak. The dead are being raised. And he omits, the captives are set free. He omits that part. And then he says this kind of haunting phrase. He goes, Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So these guys return to John to tell him that stuff. As soon as they leave, Jesus talks to the crowd and he goes, John is the greatest man that has ever been born of woman. That's what he says. The least in the kingdom of God is greater than him. But of everyone born of women, John is the greatest. In fact, he is the Elijah who was to come. Elijah was such a big deal that at every Passover meal, which was like a mix between their Thanksgiving and their Fourth of July at the same time, every Passover meal, they would leave a chair as like a symbolic thing of like, we're waiting for Elijah to come because he comes before the Messiah comes. And Jesus goes, John's the greatest dude born of men, period, and he is the Elijah who was to come. You know who counsels Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration when he is transformed and you actually get to see his glory for a moment? Moses, the law, and Elijah, the prophets. And John is the embodiment of the spirit of all the prophets. Jesus says all the law and the prophets testified until John. He's a big deal. Big deal. So then what can we learn about how God lets his life play out, and how does that speak to what I believe or don't believe about how my life's going to play out? So, now we can go to Mark um, chapter 6 to verse 14. This is Mark taking a break from the story to do a look back. So I'm going to read from here. You guys can read from there, because I know we don't always all bring our Bibles in print. Um, Here it is. Jesus has been doing a bunch of stuff. So when it says King Herod heard about this, he heard about all the stuff Jesus was doing. King Herod heard about this, for Jesus' name had become well known. Some were saying, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. And that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Others said, he is Elijah. And still others claimed, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of long ago. But when Herod heard this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has been raised from the dead. Now we're going to get the story. For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested. He had him bound and put in prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married. Also his niece. It's not in there, but it's, it's true. For John had been saying to Herod, it's not lawful. It's not right. It's not good for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Listening and liking what you hear and obeying Jesus are pretty different things. Finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave... That's what happens when you become a grown-up. On your grown-up, you have to throw birthday parties where you pay... For other people to come and hang out. It's like you have to, like, even like now, like, guess such a, like, when we, if we have a birthday party, if Sarah throws me a birthday party, we, like, pay for everything. And, it, it, and even, like, if my friends come and they bring gifts, it's kind of weird. Like, it's kind of weird if somebody comes in and they're like, hey man, I got you this, like, this um, iPod shuffle from 2004. <laughs> You're like, oh, it's really, okay, cool. Same thing back then, you have to throw your own birthday parties. Um, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. This would have been like a stag party. The ladies would have been in a different dining hall. When the daughter of Herodias, so now we're talking about, so this is Herod's niece, wife, her daughter from Philip. So his like, great niece, now stepdaughter, When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. This is most likely an erotic dance, and she is most likely sent in there by her mother. Her mother probably was not unaware of her new husband's tendencies, and so a lot of people think that she sent her daughter in To uh, manipulate her husband. Unhealthy. The king said to the girl, Ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath whatever you ask, I will give you up to half my kingdom. He actually wasn't able to give anything away because he wasn't a real king. He was just a, kind of a pawn underneath Rome. So even if she'd been like, I'd like my own city, he couldn't have actually given it to her. So this is just a classic example of a dude who's hot and bothered running his mouth about things he can't actually do. She went out and asked her mother, who was not present. Her mom's not present, which is probably why Herod was acting the way that he was. She went out and asked her, what do I ask for? What do I ask my stepdad for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once, the girl hurried into the king with the request. And listen to how he writes this. Can you see right there? Yeah, right there. I want you to give me right now, right now, the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was greatly distressed but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. The man went, beheaded John in the prison, and he brought back his head on a platter. He presented it to the girl, and she gave it to her mother. On hearing of this, John's disciples came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The end. That's the end of the story for John the Baptist. That's how it played out for him. Um, What happens to John will happen to Jesus. Pilate, wanting to release Jesus, is unable to because of his fear of the people manipulated and twisted into putting him to death, the Roman machine just crunches its way through John, Jesus, and what happened to John will happen to Jesus and will happen to the disciples, and will happen to men and women that follow Jesus. Um. Blessed is the man who does not fall away. Blessed is the woman who does not fall away on account of me or on account of what you go through for my name. What I wrote is, um, what do we do when it is clearly within God's power to rescue or deliver, to save, and he does not? Um, There are beautiful stories of people being radically delivered from prison in the book of Acts. John probably remembered that Joseph sat in a jail cell for years and years and years and then was elevated to the second most powerful position in the world under Pharaoh. But That's not how it played out for him. I wrote, why do I think that my life as a Jesus follower is going to be specially protected from loss and suffering? Where did I get that? Why do I think that I'm entitled to Jesus or God being to me like a trained golden retriever, fetching every prayer ball that I throw out and fending off anybody that threatens me? When in reality, everything I see in Scripture from the people of God being the most arguably persecuted people group on the planet, to every man and woman of God, experiencing pretty intense suffering, loss, agony, waiting. Why do I think that I am not going to have to walk the road that the king walked? He was called a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering, not the giggling rescue king. And I think it's because the human experience in a fallen world is far more, the greatest common denominator is not laughing. It's sorrow, suffering. And so he comes that way to meet us in that. The rub is that we have all these awesome promises in Scripture. We have all these awesome promises in Scripture that we do know that God is faithful to. And he does not raise every dead person. And every single blind person that I have met, or a mute person, or is not healed. So we walk in this tension of, you are victorious, and, you, and, and everything has been put under your feet, but we don't yet see it that way. That's Hebrews chapter 2. Everything has been put under his feet, and the writer goes, but we don't yet see it that way. And you're like, yeah, that's true. And that is why the writers, and Jesus himself, held up faith as the way to follow Jesus. I always confuse faith and knowledge. When things are going well and I can understand that God is good, I call that faith, when actually it's really just knowledge. I see how you're moving and I love it. It's good. Faith is I don't see you at all and the marketing campaign of hell is getting to me, and I actually can't prove that you're good. But I hold on. That's faith. Plants that are able to weather drought are ones that have experienced dry seasons before, and it pressed their roots even deeper. It's why Jesus gives us his beautiful little parable when he talks about a farmer who is sowing seeds generously, I would say, because they're falling everywhere. Um, he's got seeds for days, and he's just throwing them all over his property. And it's like some seeds fell on the path where he's actually walking. He's like, this would be tight. There are some flowers here. And, he's, and some seeds fell on fertile ground. and Some seeds fell in the weeds, which he never mows. He's like... And some seeds fell on the gravel. And as they're all springing up, we have all these different examples of what happens to the word entrusted to us. You know, if it falls on the gravel or the rocky soil, it gets a purchase, maybe has enough moisture, sprouts up quickly. But as soon as the hot sun, the reality of the day, hits it, it shrivels and dies because it has no root. And he goes, that's the ones who hear the word of God, they get super stoked on it. But the moment hard stuff happens... They die. He gives us these examples of it. He's talking to his, in the book of John, when you have this Last Supper discourse that's recorded, and he's talking to the guys, and he goes, I'm telling you all this so that you can have peace in me. But in this world where you live, you will have trouble. Take heart, I've overcome the world. But it's not an overcoming in the way that Um, I have been discipled in, which is conservative, evangelical, Western, American, individual Christian. That kind of overcoming is um, comfort should be guaranteed to me. Um, You don't get to tell me how to think my truth. Um, Like the things that are kind of, it's the soup we swim in without even knowing it. And that's not going to jive with the reality of God's character and the reality of what it means to follow Jesus. And I live there. Um, Here's my story. Here's why I'm not doing okay. Um, Six months ago, my brother and his wife delivered um, their first child, a little girl named Zoe. They've had a hard time getting pregnant. They started trying to get pregnant when my wife and I lost a baby in 2016. Um, They knew from tests that this little girl was going to have a really um, impossible shot at life because she had a chromosomal abnormality called T18 or trisomy 18. Three chromosomes when you're only supposed to have two on the 18th pair or line. So my brother and we're all kind of preparing for the worst. I left um, a, a thing that I had to do for my job to go be there while she was born because I was fully anticipating um, a birth and a funeral within, you know, a week. And she survived and it, it didn't necessarily feel like godly miraculous. It felt like, holy crap, we have some awesome medical advances that are pretty remarkable. Um, And all this time, I'm praying to God, who I know raises the dead, heals us, delivers us, meets us where we are. Like all the things that we both, we all know. And as I'm praying, um, these weird things start happening to me. So I have these encounters with little girls named Zoe when I am praying for my niece, Zoe. Weird encounters. Um, Five total. I'm at a park one time, I'm sitting there with my head down, I'm holding my son, I'm praying for my brother and his wife, and they're, they're out there playing with my sons, and I'm holding Henry. I look up, and there's a little three-year-old girl standing, like, so close to me that she frightened me at first. I was like, what the heck? And she goes, she said something like, I like your baby, or your baby is cute, or something. And I was like, oh, thank you, little girl, like, what's your name? And she looks straight at me, and she just goes, Zoe? I was praying about Zoe, and she then skips away, and I was so startled by it that I followed her to see if she would vanish, because I thought she might be an angel. No lie. It was so startling. I'm like holding Henry, and I'm like, watch, I'm like, and she goes over to her mom, who looks like super normal, so normal that you're like, "Ah, I don't think you're an angel, Um. And it, and it goes on from there. I'm praying, for, I'm praying for Zoe when I'm at the hospital with my brother, and, she's been, and she's, she's been born, but she keeps stopping breathing. So all the machines keep going flatline, and She keeps kind of, like, coming close to dying, and then coming back. I'm just, like, exhausted from, like, the roller coaster of, like. So I'm in Starbucks getting them stuff, and I'm, like, I had ordered three drinks, and I'm praying for Zoe. And they go, Greg, Greg, Zoe, Greg. <laughs> That's what they do. And I'm, like, what? And this l- older girl like young middle school comes running up. She's got like a cheerleader outfit on and she looks at me and she smiles and she's like, hi. She grabs her drink and I was like, what is happening? And then it happened three more times after that. So I'm praying about it. I'm like, Lord, are you making a promise to me? Are you trying to tell me something? Because it went all the way up to a college-aged girl named Zoe. I was like, are you trying to tell me something? Like outside of your general promises to us as your people, are you making like a promise to me that she is actually going to live? Because it's so unlikely and I started to kind of hope and um, over Thanksgiving uh, right before Thanksgiving um, my brother and his wife woke up and Zoe was stone cold in her crib it was a week of wonderful reports from the doctors of her uh, making moving and 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 doing better and all this kind of stuff and then like 3 a.m. in the morning uh, Kelly my brother's wife goes to use the bathroom and she doesn't hear her breathing turns on the light and she's just cold and um, I felt so stupid for hoping or for trying to um, interpret and, um, I was, and I'm pissed because it's so easy for God to heal. I, you never see Jesus struggle to do something in Scripture. And he is the perfect picture of God the Father. Um, He's the perfect picture of God the Father, but he's um, palatable for us. If we really saw Jesus as he was, we would die. He's so much more glorious and all this kind of stuff. But he's the perfect picture of God the Father to us in a way that we can handle. And so I'm like, what do you do when it's clearly within God's power to rescue, to deliver, to save? And he does not. Jesus tasted it, begging with with broken capillaries, blood mixed with sweat and tears. Father, if there's any other way, if there is any other way to do this, Three times. And then on the cross, screaming out, why have you forsaken me? Um, so, I've been processing that. Um, and, I, and I think I thought I was probably um, further along in my process until um, this conference where I'm having to like, go to these worship things all the freaking time. And it's like, wow, I want to, like, punch someone in the head right now. And, and there are proverbs about that. Don't sing songs to someone with a heavy heart. It's like taking their jacket away on a cold day. Or it's like pouring vinegar on baking soda. <laughs> they're going to blow up in your face. Or they're going to shiver, and you're leaving them worse off. Um, I felt both of those, anger or just, like, More alone. When everyone's singing songs about Jesus, you know, healing and being victorious and all this kind of stuff. Um, It says that a a hope deferred, I was hoping for this, makes the heart sick. I feel that. It says that um, a crushed spirit, who can bear that? I feel all that. I didn't know it. Just like that putting a running watch on and going, oh, like, this is exactly how I'm doing right now. Fascinating. Um, I don't know if I could have had the space, if unless I'd been put in like this, like a hyper Jesus chamber, where I'm like, I don't like this. <laughs> What's wrong with me? Um, here is what. Uh, I, so I wrote. I wrote a box in my notes called Hope question mark, and I, I do have some things to read to you from that. Um, I, want to, I don't have this up here, so I'm going to go to Romans chapter 5. Um, as, like, a, God, what are you doing? Um, I so want God to display himself more often and more clearly than he does. I want that. The disciples, the apostles, wanted it also. It's it's why they were always misunderstanding him. It might even be why Judas turned him over. The zealot who just was so done with Rome just being able to kill and do whatever they want. Um, Here's what Romans 5 says, and this is um, starting in verse um, 2, like the the 2b, if you're super technical. It says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. You think about a plant um, that's not getting enough water, and it pushes its root deeper which will serve it later. You think about um, wines that are rare because of their unique taste. It's because they experienced severe weather conditions. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character is... Who are you when no one's looking? Character is grit. Character is doing the right thing when it's super hard and costs you much. Character is a word that our culture doesn't really know anymore and doesn't aspire to because words like virtue seem like grandparents talk. We want quick and fast stuff, and character is long and hard. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, Paul would say we are to be pitied more than anyone else. If my hope in Christ, if my hope in the gospel of Jesus is only for this life, we are to be pitied more than anyone else. Why? Because our experience of life right now is a drop in the bucket of what it will be reigning with Christ as sons and daughters in a new heaven and a new earth. And suffering causes me to lift my eyes up from the this and now where I become so ingrained and go, there is more. There is more. I don't like it. I don't want it. I, don't, I didn't want to be up here today. But I know that that is part of why Jesus lets us experience things when it is fully within his power to rescue. And the other one I'll leave you with is Hebrews 11, which um, if you've been to church for a long time, people sometimes call that the hall of faith, not the hall of fame. Um, if you haven't, it's just a list of folks whose lives sucked. Uh, I'm Sorry to say that word from the pulpit. Um, Hebrews 11 starts like this, faith is being sure of what we hope for. I am sure of this thing I hope for, and I'm certain of what I do not see. That's a confusing statement. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then he lists some of the ancients. Abel did something, Enoch did something, Noah, ever heard of him, did something, Abram did something, and then verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. Let me just, let me just say, like if I'm like, Benjamin, you're going to get a bike. Nice. Never gets a bike. That is kind of what we're talking about in this. All these people were still living by faith when they died. Did Abraham see his children become as numerous as the sands of the sea? No. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. You keep going. They were aliens and strangers here. It starts listing a bunch of people again, but before that, it goes instead, verse 16, instead, they were longing for a better country. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed. To be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. It lists a bunch more people. You got Joseph, you got Moses, you got the Red Sea, you got Jericho, you got a bunch of stuff happening in there. Verse 39 These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And I know I need to wrap this up. I have more to say, but I need to wrap this up. Um, We are called to consider and remember Jesus who suffered when we are suffering and we feel like God is far or has abandoned us or is um, neutered in his ability or willingness to help. We are called to remember Christ and to look back. We're not called to be like Um, George Washington, that picture of him crossing the Potomac where he's at the front of the boat going into a fog and like boldly claiming like I know what God's going to do I know we're going to be victorious. That's a very western understanding of faith. What faith is actually is how you would be rowing the boat. Your back is towards the unknown your face is looking at the ripples that are set off from the boat and you go he was faithful to Ruth he was faithful to Esther he was faithful to and you recall I have no idea what he's going to do. I cannot, do not, will not, want to, but don't, dictate to him. Faith is looking back and going, you have been, you will be. But just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing at the edge of a fiery furnace with Nebuchadnezzar, the narcissist, wicked, ruling king, they go, our God will save us. (laughs) And then they say this wonderful phrase, and if he doesn't because like there's like a caveat there like god is definitely going to save us and then maybe one of them's like and if he doesn't since lots of our friends were murdered we're here in exile lots of my friends were just killed on the street and if he doesn't i'm still not going to bow down to you grit when my mom lost my dad and she had 3 babies she shook her fist in her room, sobbing, and she goes, I cannot deny you, but I cannot follow you. And she heard the Lord say very clearly, you must. Sometimes grit is just holding on. You're not climbing the rope anymore. You're just holding on. Sometimes grit is just treading water. I can't swim anymore, but I'm not going to sink. And this is what the Lord says about that posture. Isaiah 57. I'm sorry I didn't have all these up here on the thing. I was not prepared until last night at 10 p.m. Isaiah 57, 15. This is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place. That's where I live. I live in a high and holy place. It sounds remote. But also with him or her who is contrite and lowly in spirit. To revive the spirit of the lowly. And to revive the heart of the contrite. That's also where God lives. It's why the gospel always roars through those who are crushed and pressed down like wildfire. And it's why it's so hard for the rich man to come home. So, all I can offer you this morning is that I um, resonate with the frustration of John from a prison cell going, My whole life has been about you. What the heck am I doing here? I could help. You could free me. Are you really who you say you are? And then it just is over. After a lusty striptease dance party upstairs. I get that. Not because I've experienced the, 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 the gravity of that, but because in my own place, I'm like, you could have, but you didn't. And that doesn't make sense to me. And yet, I will follow you. Please make your home with me right now because you feel super far away. That's faith. I hope that I have it. I have to give you this last one, okay? Isaiah sixty-five, and then I'm closing it down. Bringing back up Andrew Spada. He's probably cutting songs out of the worship set right now, just to goodness gracious. The other people are going to arrive soon. Okay. Isaiah sixty five seventeen, Behold, I'm going to create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered. Thank God for that. Nor will they come to mind. Jump down to verse 20. Never again will there be an infant who lives but a few days. I read that last night and just started sobbing. That's what I need. I want the promise of children that will grow old. The Word of God is one of the only places that you can run to when you're barely hanging on. Even though it's kind of the last place you want to go, you must go there. And he met me last night with that beautiful little promise. He is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. And one day I will understand that in a way that makes me forget what I feel right now. And it's only faith that helps me get over this right now to be here in front of you. Lord, blessed is the woman who does not fall away on account of you, on account of what you have done or what you have not done, what you could have done and what you did not do. Blessed is the woman who does not fall away. On account of you. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of you. Help us to figure out how to stay close and follow you in this world where we will have trouble. Holy Spirit, would you help us to find the peace that you promise us that is in Christ? It's not in my circumstances, it's in Christ. And lift our eyes towards the country. That is promised. Amen.